As followers of Jesus, we are called to follow the ways of his kingdom. We know from scripture what things should look like, but we also look at the world around us and see a harsh reality of how things are. Through entertainment, social media, the unending news cycle, and even driving through our own communities, it is easy to see a culture that lives in stark contrast to the standard of God. How should we respond? How do we live? How do we represent Christ well in the places where faith and culture collide? In the motion picture, Captain America, the first Avenger, at, at kind of, he ends up being, I, I'm, I'm going to spoil the mu- movie for you. I mean, listen, it's been out for like 15 years. So if you haven't seen it by now, I'm sorry, okay? Uh, I, I usually don't do that for new pictures, but, you know, this one's been out a while. But basically the premise is the end, he's frozen for 70 years. Can you imagine that? 70 years, and, and, and he wakes up, and they've kind of gotten everything situated where it appears like it's still 70 years ago, but he realizes something's not right when he hears the baseball game that's being played on, on the radio because he was at that game, and he's like, something's not right here. He ends up breaking out, runs out into the street, and he's in modern-day Times Square, New York City. Can you imagine waking up and being right smack dab in the middle of Times Square 70 years later? What a world, what would our world look like in 2093? Talk about a culture shock. We aren't dealing with an instantaneous change in culture, though. What we're dealing with here today and what we're dealing with in our current society is a gradual decay of the biblical values of our nation that our nation was founded on. And now we find ourselves in what I would refer to as a collision between faith and culture. Thankfully, we're not really the first to have to deal with something like this in a changing culture. And and we see it, and what we've been discovering in this series is Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel have been ripped out of their society. They, I mean, it's more of an instantaneous culture shock for them. They went from Jerusalem to Babylon really quick. And, and, And we see, though, how did they navigate that cultural collision? And so today we're going to continue our series, Collide, Where Faith and Culture Meet. And in Daniel chapter 1, we see where Daniel and his, his friends, they, had, they um, had been ripped away from their family. Uh, and in verse uh, 4, uh, or chapter, uh, verse 3, if you will, of Daniel 1, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So they were taken into captain. They were the strong men. They were the great, uh, the, the wise, good-looking men of the day. And then they're brought to Babylon, and he says, I want you to train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. So you're going to indoctrinate them in the language and the literature. And then verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And so they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. 
So Babylon was this major power at the time. And, and they came into Jerusalem. They conquered it. They took some of the best young men back to Babylon to indoctrinate them into their culture. And that's where we're going to start the story. So last week, if you were with us, we went kind of into Daniel chapter 6, and we kind of gave you the, the balance between grace and truth. And today, we're going to bring you all the way back to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, the chief of staff, that was Ashpenaz, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was also was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Okay, you've, you probably know them more by their Babylonian names than you do by their Hebrew names. So there's several things that I want us to see today in this story, and I'm going to walk us along through this. The first thing that we see here, write this down. If you're following along in your notes, you can pull those out this morning. If you want to go to connectedhope.com and follow along with me, you can as well. But number one is this, is we see that there was identity confusion. Identity confusion. Confusion. I, I, want, I want you to see this. This is, this is some, of the, some of the signs of a changing culture. The first sign is this, is identity confusion. In the Bible, a name was more than just a name. It reflected a person's identity. We see God change names in the Old Testament, right? Jacob, deceiver, he, he was, his name was changed to what? Israel. Abram was, was changed to Abraham. Jesus changed Simon's name. He said, listen, you're no longer Simon. You're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Names were, more, were important because they reflected identity. Even God, uh, when Joseph was uh, contemplating whether he was going to leave Mary, and God shows up, and the angel shows up and talks to Joseph, and he says, listen, Mary's going to have a son, and you're to call him Jesus. There was power in the name. Names were important because they reflected identity. Are you with me? Say amen. So the first thing we see the Babylonian chief of staff, the Ashpenaz, do, after he gets the instructions from the king and he, he, he says, listen, you're going to do all this stuff. You're going you're to indoctrinate them into the language and the literature. You're going to give them this sort of food. And then in verse 7, he changes their names. But it wasn't just changing their names from Hebrew to Babylonian. It was an attempt to change who they were. And I want to I show you this today because I'm going to give you the meanings of the name. The young prince, Daniel, his name meant God is my judge. God, the big G, the big G, not BGs. You know, I'm not staying alive here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the big God. The God is my judge. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He, 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 his name meant God is my judge. He was renamed Belshazzar. Now I want you to see this. Bel is the chief God of Babylon. B-E-L was the chief God of Babylon. It meant to protect his life. In, in more recent years, an Assyriologist has suggested an alternate meaning for the name as they begin to study the language of Babylon and, and seeing that, that there's Belshazzar, B-E-L-T-E, Shazar, there. It, it means, that alternate meaning means lady, protect the king. Belta being a title for the wife of Bel. It wasn't, it wasn't just, it wasn't that he was just Belshazzar, it was Belteshazzar, which meant lady protect the king. So he takes, I want you to see this this morning, church, he takes Daniel's name from being masculine to being feminine. 
Let that sink in. A stripping of gender identity is currently happening in our society today. This tactic has been used throughout history. Listen, what you're seeing right now in America has been in our world today has happened since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not something new. The devil doesn't have a new playbook, guys. He he doesn't have a new playbook. He keeps running the same play over and over again, generation after generation. And so this this identity confusion that we see in our society today, that we see in a culture happened years ago. Some scholars uh, have suggested Hananiah, meaning uh, the Lord shows grace, was re- when he was renamed uh, Shadrach, that means servant of Aku, the moon god. Or a different meaning of that name, same name, is I am fearful of God. So he went from being that the Lord shows me grace to I'm scared of God. Think about that. This deals with stripping of faith. We're seeing this play out right now in our society with so many people deconstructing their faith. Well, I'm not sure that I believe that anymore. I'm not sure that that's what God meant. People are just deconstructing, as they call it. Some, some coming back to their faith of their childhood. They walk away from faith, and then they, they end up coming back because they realize that it is real. But I've seen so many people that walk away from their faith, and they say, well, that's not really what the scripture means, or that's not really, and, and, and they make a God in, the, that in their own image that's centered around their convenience, and they're maybe even some not even believing in a higher power at all. So we see that. We Mishael, his name means who is equal to God. It's a question. Who is equal to God? was renamed Meshach, meaning the shadow of the prince, or who is this? Who is this? One, one commentator noted that this means I am of little account. Think about that. He went from who is equal to God to I am, un, I am of a little account. This is a messing with your self-worth, self-value. You think you're something, Mishael, but you're really Meshach of little account. It's interesting to see that the emphasis on mental health in our culture has brought to light words like trauma and trigger. Listen, I'm not, listen, this morning, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, bemoaning people who, who have legitimate, sincere illnesses, but I've spent too many times, too many times around teenagers who have, who, who are triggered because their world is not perfect. We tried to create a, we've, listen, can I just strip away from my notes? A few months ago, a pastor friend of mine gave me a book and this, and this book was written by, by two liberals. Okay. It was two liberal professors wrote this book and they said, in that book, we, in, in, we have raised a generation of kids, starting going back to kids who entered, entered uh, college in the, in the fall of 2013, okay? From that point on, we've raised the kids uh, to be safe, that our world is safe. Listen, I have enough teachers that I talk to right here that there's a generation of parents who think little Johnny and little Susie can do no wrong. And so we try, instead of, when things get hard, we try, as parents, we try to control them. 
And, and so we've, we've made this safe place, if you will. We've made this safe place, if you will, so that if anything is not in this bubble of safety, it's trauma. Listen, I can take you to people who really have trauma. I can take you to people who really are triggered. And there's a generation of kids who use those words frivolously because they have, have this idea that they are not safe, that they are of little value. Are you with me this morning, church? You see what's happening in our culture today. Azariah, meaning the Lord helps. He was renamed Abagnego, which means servant of Nego. And, and, and Nego was a god of wisdom. He was, or, 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 the, or the morning star, if you will. Instead of our help and wisdom coming from the Lord, culture wants us to accept their brand of wisdom. Well, the scripture says, well, that's not what culture says. The scripture says this, well, you know, the culture says this, and it, it brings about confusion because the, the enemy comes as an angel of light. You understand that, right? He comes as an angel of light. So all of a sudden we have phrases that sound like they should be godly, but aren't really biblical. So identity confusion. It's such a strong battle in our culture that many of our, uh, you've heard me talk before that, uh, about that I believe that each generation of the church has a song. You know, you go back to the 30s and the 40s, the Great Depression, that, that, that time, World War I, all the songs in the church that were being written that time were about heaven. Why? Because earth stunk. <laughs> So we sang songs like, I'll fly away, everybody will be happy over there, or my favorite, uh, Heaven's Jubilee, oh, what singing, oh, what shouting on that happy morning when we all shall gladly rise, oh, what? I love that. But that was that song of that generation. He Earth was so bad, they longed for heaven. And then we go into the 90s and there was the songs of revival. Well, the songs that were being written for the last five years or so, many of the songs deal with our identity. In, in fact, in 2018, I want you to see this this morning, Lauren Daigle co-wrote and released the song, You Say. You Say I Am Strong. It was all about identity. I want you to hear the opening lines of that, that song. She says, I keep fighting voices in my head that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. And I'm... Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. That's a, that's a struggle with identity. That's a confusion with identity. Let me tell you about that song. That song went number one in Christian music and stayed in the number one position for 132 weeks. For two and a half years, that was the number one song in Christian music. In fact, it went beyond just Christian music because people in our world are struggling with their identity. Identity confusion is an evidence of shifting culture. And when culture shifts, though, the church has to realize that we have to know who we are in Christ. Can I get a good amen on that? Jeremiah 1.5. I love this. It says, he's talking to Jeremiah in the opening lines, and he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And so God is saying to Jeremiah, and he would say the same thing to us, is that he has formed us, that he has created us. In fact, the Hebrew word there uh, for formed is called yatser. 
Yatser, it means to the squeezing into shape, to mold into a form, especially as a potter. Let me tell you something. All your strengths, all your giftings, all your talents, all your abilities, all your personality, everything about you, God Yatser. He formed you. He created you. Listen, we're not perfect. We're not perfect individuals. Some of us have highs and some of us have strength. Look, if you want to look at some of the differences between the church, look at this board over here and this board over here. This side over here, y'all are neat and organized. This side over here, uh, y'all got dirty socks on your floor, okay? I'm just telling you, you look over here and, and push pins and everything's over here. And then the people who did this over here is like that. God created us different. We're not the same. He yachtered, he formed us. And that's why when he brings the body of Christ together, he brings us with all of our, our weaknesses and all of our strengths. And we come together as one person into a powerful being. It's why the church needs to rise up together. That's why we need to grow in community together. It's why we need to use our giftings and our strengths together because God gifts us in different ways. He's made us, he's yachtered us, he's formed us in a unique way. We're not some byproduct of some sort of cosmic accident. We're not the offspring of a frog. We are the creation of almighty God. Can I get a good amen this morning? First Peter chapter two, verse nine. I love the scripture. He says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God didn't just create you, but he chose you. Come on, some of this generation who struggles with their identity, you need to realize that you are chosen by God. He created you. He yachted you. He formed you. He created you. He chose you. He made you royalty. He made you holy. John 1, 12, I love this. But to all who believed in and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, you've got a father in heaven who loves you, who adopted you into his family. That's who we are in Christ's church. Daniel 1, 5, it says, and to continue our story, it says that the king gave them some uh, food and wine from his own kitchens, from his own table, if you will. In verse 8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defy himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff, Ashpenaz, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. I want you to see something here. The first thing we saw was identity confusion. The second thing we see is that uh, they want us to compromise biblical values. A sign of a shifting culture. We see here Daniel and his friends that they wanted them to change their diet. Now, now listen, you have to understand something that this was a stripping away of their diet, not, not that they were, you know, you know, on the Jerry Craig or the Weight Watchers or, you know, doing the, the you know, the keto friendly or whatever uh, your diet is. It wasn't one of those. It was a diet according to their law. It was a biblical value. And he wanted them to, to, to no longer eat the diet that they had grown accustomed to, but he wanted to eat the diet of the king. When culture changes, we have to understand and we have to know what we believe. Have you noticed that in our culture that people put words in the mouth of God? 
Instead of trusting that the word of God is true and the Bible is God's God book for living, they create a God in their own understanding. They th- I've heard this before. Well, pastor, you know me and God, we've got an understanding. I don't see that in the Bible. Me and God, we got us an understanding. Oh, oh um, this is one of my favorites. People will say things like this. But pastor, back back in those old days, people didn't understand whatever hot topic button issue of the day that we have today, and it changes, it changes from time to time. Whatever that hot bucket bucket topic list is today, people don't understand that back in those days like we do now. You know, we got a better understanding. We got science, and we got all this understanding. Or this is one from from this generation. Well, that's your truth. That's your truth. No, it's the truth. It's the truth, and it's the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and it's the truth that will set you free. And, and people, people want to put words in God's mouth. Well, he's a God. You know, I know God's loving, and he's, he's so gracious and merciful. Yes, but he's also a God of wrath and judgment, and we talked about that last week with grace and truth. We, we, we can't have just grace, and we can't have just truth. We, we can't have grace or truth. We have to have grace and truth, and that's, that's the reality of us, and when we begin to reject the Bible as the authoritative word of God, we begin to reject God himself. We learned last week that he is the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Paul, in his charge to his protege Timothy, wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, he says, but evil people and imposters will flourish. Listen, we're going to look around, and we're going to see people who have a following, who have a crowd, who are popular, and they, they, have, a, they have a word for people. And they have a crowd and they're flourishing. But I want you to see the second line. He says they're going to deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Just because they have a following on Facebook and Instagram doesn't mean that they're true. I want you to understand that, church. There are so many people who claim to be pastors and claim to be ministers, but they tie their, 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 their beliefs to, to something other than the word of God, and it's not right. It's quiet in here this morning. Some people say it's, uh, it's, it's uh, always quiet during surgery, but I want to tell you, God's doing something in us. He says, Timothy, but you must be remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are the you know they're true for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom received the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is is inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's why, to me, it's important for me to come to you this morning and say something like, hey, in Jeremiah 1.5, that word form means yatzer. You know, a lot of times I won't actually say what the Greek word is because, uh, or Hebrew word is because I'm not that smart. <laughs> 
I don't have that much. I, I don't have that much uh, vocabulary to be able to say it, you know, to you. And and uh, and so my my English is not great. Uh, I can't expect my Hebrew and Greek to be, to be better. But I, I know what the word means. And so I'll say something like the original meaning of that word is. How many know because words change over time. You know, when I was growing up and, and you saw a, a young lady that you kind of liked and you said, man, she was fine, that meant she was fine. You know what I'm talking about? Like my wife, she's fine. You know what I'm talking about like that. I'm getting trouble for that later, y'all. <laughs> How many know in the 80s when you said something was bad, it really meant it was good? <laughs> you know, I, I listen to these kids nowadays and so they say, somebody said, man, that, that's mid. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like I have no idea what this stuff meant. I thought I was hip on the on the generational lingo, but no. Uh, five minutes with a teenager, and I'm like, I need to go to UrbanDictionary.com to understand what they're trying to say to me. <laughs> There's a different word meaning between the generations, so we must go back to what God was saying, because His word, if it was true, then it's true now. It doesn't change just because culture changes. Are you with me? We must know what we believe. Maddie was in her first semester at Baylor, and, and she was taking a, 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 a Bible class. It was one of the requirements for her, her degree, and I was pretty excited uh, because uh, she sent me her professor, and he, he actually went to the college that I attended, and, uh, and in fact, I started looking, and, and we had some mutual friends, and I thought, man, this is great. She's, she's there uh, at a Baptist college, and she's got a good Assembly of God professor teaching her. This is, this is awesome. And she messages me several times throughout the semester. And the conversation always went like this. She said, Dad, this is what the professor is saying. Is that what we believe? Is that what the Bible says? See, he had a different perspective on things like the miracles of the Old Testament. Like uh, he, he said that Noah's Ark and, and, or, or the Exodus, those things like that were just allegories, that they weren't really uh, miracles that took place. And I said, that's not the way we believe. We believe that if it's in the Bible, it wasn't an allegory. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just an illustration. It was something that actually happened. And she said, Dad, he, is this right? And she said, I don't think it is. This is not the way I was brought up. And I said, no, it's not right. That's not what we believe. You, you need to believe what we've taught you all along. That is not right. I said, but when it's time to take the test, put on the test what he says so you get a good grade. <laughs> See, shifts in culture cause people to begin to, to, to question the word of God. Is the Bible really true? Is what we see, is it really true? Well, you know, the Bible was just written by men. Yes, they were written by men. It, it, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit and by, inspired by God. Yes, there were men that were writing it, but they were writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Shifts in culture are always going to lead people to try to compromise what they believe. Are you with me? Daniel 1.9, he says, Now God has given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord the, the Lord the king, who has ordered you to eat the food and the wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid that the king's going to have me beheaded. In verse 11, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he said this, he said, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, 
See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then you make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Another sign of shifting culture is that our faith is going to be tested. Write that down this morning. Daniel suggested that they would let them eat the food that they wanted to, the food according to their belief, and they stood their ground and their faith would be put on trial. Cultural shifts will bring opportunities for our faith to be tested. We see this throughout scripture. I love when Elijah stood before the prophets of Baal he challenged them to pray to the God and he, he, he would pray to his God and, and, the, and they would pray to their God. He would pray to his God and the one that answered by fire was the real God. In verse 36 of 1 Kings 18, it says, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And I want you to see something. In the midst of the challenges too, in the testing of our faith, we have to stand firm. We have to stand firm. Everybody else... In Elisha's situation, everybody else there was for Bell. It was just Elijah. And he stands up and he says, listen, the God who answers by fire is going to happen. And he prayed and God answered him by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 tells us to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, to be strong. Verse 14, it says, and do everything in love. Like some people are like, man, I'm, I'm on guard. I'm standing firm. I'm courageous. I, I'm, I've got this faith. I'm, I'm strong. But they're the biggest jerks in the world. And God is saying, listen, you got to do this. You got to stand firm, but you've got to do it with love. What is that? Grace and truth. So how do we stand firm? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Listen, church, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We cannot fight a physical battle. We have to fight a spiritual battle. I'm, I'm speaking to you today because so many of us in the body of Christ today, we, we want to yell and we want to scream and we want to do all of these things. And God is saying, listen, why don't you just stand up and live for me? Why don't you show them the power of the Holy Spirit? Why don't we lay hands on the sick and see them recover? And I'm going to tell you, when that kind of thing starts happening, they're going to listen to what we have to say. But some of us don't have enough faith in us to lay hands on the sick and let them recover and to see the signs and wonders start happening around us, that the miracles, if you will, and so we just come out and we were like, we're against this and we're against that. No, how about we just live for God and show him the Jesus inside of us. I'm not saying that there's not times that we need to draw a line in the sand. Like Daniel said, listen, I can't eat that food. I can't eat that food. Me and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over here, we're not eating the king's food. We're not eating from his kitchen. We're not eating from his table. We're going to eat over here vegetables and fruit and all of this kind of stuff. And we're going to drink some water and we're going to be healthier and we're putting this to the test. I'm not saying that there's not times that we say, listen, I'm not serving the problem. 
prophet of Baal. I'm standing up for God, and the God that answers by fire is, is the one true God. But we can't, we cannot fight a physical warfare. We cannot fight with the weapons of this world because the weapons we fight with are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. He says, but we are fighting against flesh. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, unseen powers, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So to stand firm, we have to realize that those that, that we're not fighting this culture, but we're fighting a spiritual warfare. We have to stand firm in the truth. I'll get it here in a second, guys. We, we walk protected by God's righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Everywhere we go, we bring peace with us by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We walk in faith. We stand firm in the security that we're saved, that we've been bought with a price, that when we leave this world, that heaven is our home. We hold fast to the word of God, which is our sword. We pray, and we not only pray, but we pray in the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap this up, I want you to see the rest of the chapter of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 15. This is at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. I want you to see this this morning, is that when we stand for God, he empowers us to live for him. They didn't just, they didn't compromise. They didn't compromise and when they didn't compromise, God gave them, I love how it says that, an unusual aptitude for understanding. He gave Daniel this ability, this special ability to interpret meanings of visions and dreams. And we'll see that next week in our, in our, in our study. He gave them divine favor with the king. I mean, this is divine. He gives them divine favor with the king. How many know that we as the body of Christ can have favor in our culture? We got to pray for it. We got to pray for it. We got to believe it. Why? Because we're not fighting a spiritual battle. We're, we're not fighting a, a physical battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. If we're going to impact our culture, 
we got to stand firm on the truth of God's word. And we have to trust him to empower us to do all that God has called us to do. Listen, church, times are going to get tough. We've had it easy in America. We have. We've had it easy in the United States of America. In, in many ways, the church has been able to operate. We've had, we've, we've been able to, we've been able to exist. No one is walking in this morning from the government trying to shut us down because of the message that is preached today. In other cultures around the world, that's not the case. The church is not looked on as favorably. I have to just believe that what we're seeing around the world is going to happen here. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to inform you today. I'm trying to help you. In fact, I don't know if maybe a little bit of opposition to the to the message that we had would bring people together just a little bit more. That we wouldn't be so uh, a sleeping giant in our world today. How many know that we have the best message that there is? We have salvation. We have the good news. We have, we have the, the message that everybody needs. And yet many of us in our, in our world today have taken that message and, and just said, well, it's, it's, it's for me, it's personal. He's my personal savior. He's my personal Jesus. And yes, he wants to have a relationship with you, but he wants us to take the message and to go in all the world and preach that gospel. And when the kingdom of heaven is, 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 is attacked, we're not to go and, and, and hide our light. We're to let our light shine so that they may see the good works and glorify God on the day that he returns. Church, we have a mission. We have a, we have a responsibility. Culture is going to shift. It's going to keep shifting. It's not going to, look, I, I long for the good old days. Man, I do. I long for the good old days when, when, when we, we, you know, when we had things and we did things and in the church and people was the center of so many people's world. And it's not that way. And we can't expect Jerusalem in Babylon. You say, well, pastor, we're still in America. Yes, but we're now in a Babylonian culture. It's reality. That's why I'm doing this series because I fully believe that the body of Christ needs to stand up and shine its light in a dark world. Amen? Will you stand with me today? Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Maybe you're here today and you've heard me speak and you're like, man, I I hear what you're saying, Pastor, and and I, I just don't know who this Jesus is talking about, Romans 3.23 tells us in the scriptures that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much. It's his creation. You heard me say it earlier. He, he yachted us. He formed us. In the beginning, the very first words in scripture in the beginning God created he created the heavens and the earth he formed you 
And so as, as I'm speaking to you this morning, I want you to understand that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Say, how do I believe in him then? Scripture teaches us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be saved. So if that's you this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed today, when I count to three, if that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're watching online, if you'll just put a comment in the comment section or send us an email at prayer at hopefamily.tv. Pastor Ben, our online pastor, wants to pray with you as well. If you're in this room today, we're all gonna pray a prayer together here in just a moment, but I wanna know who's accepting the Lord for the first time or maybe who's rededicating their life to the Lord today. If that's you, when I say three, would you raise your hand? Because we wanna pray with you today. One, two, three. Anybody in this room? Anybody online this morning? Come on, would you pray this prayer with me then? Would you say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died, rose again, and you're the Lord of all. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna leave and, uh, and b- but before we do, I want to remind you that we have Friend Day that's coming up. And we have some uh, cards over here, and some of you weren't here last week, and, and, uh, and, and you want us to be able to pray for your friends. We're asking you to invite friends to Friend Day. Not friends that go to another church, friends that co- don't go to church anywhere, friends that are just sitting home today, friends that don't know Jesus, maybe friends that are away from God prodigals, if you will. How many know we could fill this house that morning if we'll all work together? Sue and the team are putting together a great lunch for us afterwards. We're going to have a bounce house for the kids that morning. And we're asking everybody to come. We're asking you to come and we're asking you to invite your friends. So as we leave today, if, if you if you have not gotten a chance to, to sign up today. I, I want I want to I want to invite you just to come up here. You can grab a, a card, fill it out. We're asking you to identify five friends if you want to if you want to just put their initials. If you're online, you want to do this, go to connectedhope.com and click the five friend focus there and you can do it digitally and we'll print it out and stick it on there uh, so that we can all be praying. Our team prayed this morning. We prayed over these this morning asking God to help you as you invest and you invite your friends. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you today. And would you just bow your head and close your eyes today? I know some of you have needs today. And you need God to do work and a a miracle in your life. And before we close this morning, I just want to take a moment uh, to pray with you today for your needs. If you got a need and you say, Pastor, I just need God to do a miracle in my life, in my situation, would you slip up your hand right where you're at? Yeah, leave it up. Leave it up today. Leave it up. Come on, church, there are a few hands around. If, 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 if some of you could want to open your eyes and just uh, put a hand on somebody's shoulder today and let them know that, that, you're, that you're praying with them today. Father, God, we, we come to you today and we believe that you are a great God. We ask for those online that have needs today, those that are in this room today that have needs. I pray, God, that you would speak to them God, that you would give them direction where they need direction, wisdom where they need wisdom, healing where they need healing, provision where they need provision. 
encouragement where they need encouragement. And God, I pray right now that you would move in these individual situations. God, so many are struggling right now. So many are hurting right now. And I ask God that you would you would heal family members. God, I, I pray today for those that are struggling physically. I pray for those that are struggling mentally. I pray for those that are struggling financially. God, that you would move on their behalf. Some of these are raising their hand for other people. And I just pray right now that you would move in those folks' life right now. Some of them are raising their hands personally because they need something in their own mind and own heart and spirit. And I pray, God, that you would use them today. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's, it's life. And I just ask, God, that you would use us. God, I pray that you would use us to be your hands extended in this, in this culture. God, that we would, we would go forth with boldness, with truth, and with love in the name of Jesus. Now I pray over your church today that you would bless them and keep them, that you would make your face shine down upon them and be gracious to them, and that you would give them peace in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Would you just turn and greet somebody on your way out this morning? God bless you. Thank you guys that have joined us online today.